father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Hello, and welcome to What's the Lightsaber's Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. My name is Ryan. And my name is Joanna. Hi, guys. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this, our third or fourth episode of our second season. I can't remember anymore. It's Seasons mean nothing. Seasons mean everything. This is the third se- third episode of season... No, this is the second episode. <laughs> we literally cannot remember, is, guys. Uh, it's the third, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, guess what? I have Lord of the Rings news. Oh, good. For once. Let's hear about it. Okay, so the headline is from mirror.co.uk, our favorite source for stupid Middle Earth related news. They got the scoops. And it is titled Star Wars Gibbon and Lord of the Rings Toad Among 157 New Species Discovered. Now, this is Lord of the Rings and Star Wars news in one little basket, isn't it? It is. The new species were found in Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, Thailand, and Vietnam in 2017. So why this news is coming out in December 2018, I don't know. But anyway, so this toad, I'll show you a picture of this toad. Oh, look at him. He kind of looks like a leaf. He's a handsome looking boy. He's brown. He looks like a leaf. He's got kind of like rough looking skin, kind of flattish. And uh, uh, now I will show you, this is the Star Wars Gibbon. Oh, he's very cute. Now, I have to ask though, what makes what makes it a Lord of the Rings toad? What makes it a Star Wars Gibbon? Well, Ryan, I'll tell you, this article does not say. <laughs> Scroll up. It did say. You no, it absolutely does not say. The Skywalker Gibbon. Come yes, on. they call it the Skywalker Gibbon, but they do not say why they call it the Skywalker Joanna Gibbon. Joanna didn't read the article. It's called Skywalker Gibbon. This article maybe has 150 words. Look, okay, uh, some of the funniest nicknames include the Skywalker Hillock Gibbon, the Toad from Middle Earth, and a bat with frosted tip hair. So there you go. There's your Nicknames answer. by whom and why? We do not know, but those are their nicknames for these animals that were discovered last year in Myanmar and the like. Well, you heard it here first, 2017. The People are calling a gibbon a Star Wars gibbon, and we don't know why. It's the Skywalker gibbon. What do you have? Again, every time I look up Star Wars news, it's just a bunch of like dumb YouTube videos being like, rumors are true about Snoke, and it's like, I don't care, I don't care. Um, Can we all just stop talking Stop talking about Snoke 2K19? Uh, it's called the Skywalker Hulak gibbon, Joanna. Yes. It's discovered January, 20, January 2017 in the American Journal of Primatology. But it doesn't say why it's called the Skywalker Gibbon. Because it swings around in the trees, like a Skywalker. A Skywalker doesn't do that. Well, he's walking in the sky. But why is the toad the Lord of the Rings toad? Well, let's find out, Joanna. Okay. You have to do your research on your news, my dear. If mirror.co.uk doesn't do any research, I don't have to either. Toad from Middle Earth. Uh, let's see. A toad. This is maddening. Okay, here's here's why. This is a much better article than that. Mirror.co.uk. Let me read it. Well, what site is it from? It's from panda.org. It's actually the WWF. The World oh, World okay. World so Federation. that's definitely going to be more reputable than Mirror.co.uk. A tiny toad with sharp horns that was named after an elf due to its discovery in a foggy, mountainous, moss-covered elfin forest in Vietnam. Its habitat and eyelid horns have led it some to call it the toad from Middle Earth. Okay, that's much better. Why couldn't Mirror.co.uk just say that? Um, because... This is a funny nickname it has. We won't tell you why. Yeah. Top... Notch journalism, as always, from our friends at mirror.co.uk. Well, the Skywalker Hulak Gibbon is one of the top 25 most endangered primates on the planet. Oh, poor baby. So save it. Save his life. Please save that Skywalker Gibbon. Oh, you know why it's called the Skywalker Gibbon? Because it's a Chinese name. 
Tianxing, Qian meaning heaven, and Xing meaning movement. Heaven movement, skywalk. Yeah, okay, okay. Ten- tentatively connected, I suppose. Yep. The scientists are friend of, fans of Star Wars as well. All right, that's cool. Yeah. But my Star Wars, I don't really have any Star Wars news. When I, the first thing that came up is an article on the site called themarysue.com. Oh, okay. I've read the Mary Sue. Sometimes they have good articles. They have good articles. But the article that popped up first was, please, Star Wars, let Poe Dameron be gay. Please, Star Wars, let him be gay. I didn't read the article, but sure, I'm into that. That's cool. I mean, he can be gay. Please. That's cool. I mean, we need more representation. We definitely need more representation just across the board, so. Somewhere out in in Hollywood, J.J. Abrams, he's he's going over the edits of episode nine, and he he scrolls through his feed, and he sees this Mary Sue article, and he spits out his coffee, says, my God, we have to do reshoots. That's nice. They're very polite. God, give me Oscar Isaacs on the phone. We got to do some kissing scenes. I so, mean, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I wouldn't mind. It's it's a very weird approach to take. Please, please, make poor Dameron gay. But I feel like every time there's an article like that, it all boils down to we need more representation, which like we do. Sure, but I, I just feel like the same article gets written about like every single fa- uh every single popular property. Weird how is the first one that popped up? It's almost like they're written to get clicks on their website. Hmm. Well, I mean. Uh, Okay, so. All right, what do you got? Well, I want to talk about Rovanian. Rovanian. We talked about the Fleetwood Mac song. Yeah, I want to talk Stevie about Nicks. Yeah, Stevie Nicks' breakthrough hit, Rovanian. It's a song about a witch. It is a song about a witch. Or, in this case, a kingdom of Middle Earth about which we know very little. About which we know very little. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> so we talked about Vidumavi, right? Princess Vidumavi. Yeah, the one that sounds like an, a Hindu goddess of the death. one that sounds like a Hindu goddess. Actually, yeah, her name is like Balan, but she came from the kingdom of Rovanian. Mm-hmm. And as I was talking about it, it occurred to me, we've never really talked that much about Rovanian, and I actually don't know practically anything about it. We mentioned it during some episode, because I remember doing the Fleetwood Mac joke again. <laughs> then as well. Recycling jokes since 2017. No one listens to every episode. That's our it's podcast. Fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, so, Rovanian. Okay. So, Rovanian is a kingdom of men. It's not Gondor. It's not Rohan. It's Rovanian. And we're going to talk about it. So, I'm going to describe it to you because okay. I'm betting you don't know anything about it either. No, I don't. So, Rovanian is the land in Middle Earth bordered by the river running and the inland sea of Rune to the east, the gray mountains and iron hills to the north, the misty mountains to the west, the Limlight River, Anduin, Emmanuel, Daggerlad, and the arid Lithui to the south. You get it? That sounds like every other location in Middle Earth. Okay, well, let's just look at a friggin' map. Here's oh, it's big, Rovanian. It's the big bit. It's the big bit. It's a huge bit, in fact. So you can see that this is where a good deal of the action in The Hobbit take place. Like, uh, there's there's Mirkwood. Oh, that's part of Ravanian. Right there. And over here is the Lonely Mountain. Sure, sure, sure. And here's Lake Town right all here. Right, all right, all right. Ravanian, all right. Yep. And they also go there in The Lord of the Rings. So, for example, here's Lothlorien right down here. Ooh, okay. Dimril Dale right here. Sure, sure, sure. Right, the River Anduin. That's and a it- big player, heavy hitter in the series. Yeah. Okay. So, a lot goes down in Rovanian. Seems like it, yeah. And indeed, Rovanian used to be more than just a region. It used to be a separate kingdom of men. Yet, as the fandom wiki puts it, Rovanian is, quote, rarely given specifications in Tolkien's books. 
He didn't give a crap about Rovanian. Well, he didn't, but we're going to give a crap. Okay. So we're going to talk about what this kingdom was, who was living there, and why you should care. And the answer to why you should care is that you are either voluntarily listening to or voluntarily recording a Lord of the Rings themed podcast right now. Oh, good. So that's, <laughs> that's why you should care. That's me. I care. You made this bed. Now sleep in it. Second off, the people living there were the Northmen, and they're kind of an interesting enigma. Like, it's not quite on the level of Tolkien being asked about trolls and just straight up being like, oh. but. He did give us multiple rather tangled explanations for who the Northmen were. Well, tell us about some of these tangled explanations. Let's see if we can unravel this tangled web of knowledge. All right, so who were the Northmen? So, in Northmen, summary, men from the north. if I were to summarize the information Tolkien gives us about the Northmen, it is they were not the Edain or the Dunedain. So we know what they aren't. What are they? Well, okay. So what this means that they were not Edain slash Dunedain. Yeah. Which is like the same thing, just in different eras. They never lived on Numenor. So they were true blue Endor. They were real salt of the Middle Earth kinds of dudes. Love it, love it. And ladies. And the reason they never went to Numenor is that Numenor was like a reward for all the men who fought alongside the elves against Morgoth, which the Northmen never did. And the reason they never did is because they weren't in Beleriand at the time Morgoth was running riot. They were in Eriador. This is Eriador right here. You can see that in later years, it was the coastline of Middle-earth. Yes. But if you remember, there used to be land beyond that called Balerion. A chunk sank. Yeah, that sank at the end of the fight well, with Morgoth. that's just about location, location, location. They were just wrong place, wrong time. Well, because they weren't in Balerion, and that's where all the action was going down, they didn't fight in the war. And why would they? Well, it's I, not their problem. Right. So much like some of the elves got bored or whatever on their journey westward to Valinor and just stopped halfway, there were men who stopped halfway on the journey to Beleriand and just popped a squat somewhere further yeah, east. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty anti-interventionist, and I think that's probably how they were too. Well, ultimately, it was good for them because it meant they didn't suffer mass casualties during the First Age. Sure. However, it was also bad for them because another of the rewards for participating in the war against Morgoth was a long lifespan, which the Northmen didn't get. Oh, man. So, like, kind of a trade-off there. So they didn't get invited to the 40-man raid. They don't get the sick loot drops afterwards. No, they don't get all the buy-down-equipped purple gear that you get from Molten Core. Molten Core. I've not played World of Warcraft in, like, 15 years. I think they probably still have Molten Core. They probably still do Molten Core. I don't know if it's, like, the best of the best dungeons anymore. It but... probably still is. Yeah. They, they haven't added anything new to that game in 15 years. I'm pretty sure Molten Core is they've, still They have, in fact. They've added, like, hundreds of pets. Can That's you sense the sarcasm in my voice? Yes. So... Now, the whole, quote, everyone who didn't make it to Beleriand definition of the Northmen gets kind of complicated by statements Tolkien made elsewhere, because of course it does. Yeah, of course. So, for example, in Unfinished Tales, Tolkien says, quote, the Northmen appear to have been most nearly akin to the third and greatest of the peoples of the elf friends ruled by the house of Hador. So, remember when I explained that there were, like, three main houses of the men of Beleriand? Yes. And you probably didn't retain any of it? A little bit. Well, anyway, Hador was one of them, right? Okay. So it's saying the Northmen are probably most related to the House of Hador. Anyway, if we take this comment at face value, the Northmen described here don't simply share a descent with the Edain. They're more closely related to some of them than to others. So they're actually, like, within that same family tree. Mm. Right? So they almost constitute, like, a fourth house, which failed to follow the other three um, houses across the mountains. The fourth estate. The fourth, the fourth 
isn't the fourth estate the media? Yes. <laughs> okay, so they are the media. All right. And then, 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 to make things even harder to understand, mm-hmm. Faramir in The Two Towers offers yet another explanation. So speaking specifically about the Rohirrim, he says that they originated, quote, not from Hador the golden-haired, the elf friend maybe, yet from such of his sons and people as went not over the sea into the west, refusing the call. Okay, so here we have ancestors who were not merely related to the Edain, but actually like descended from them. Right? So not a fourth house and not like sharing a common ancestor, but directly yeah. descending from them, like in a line of descent. And they were actually offered a spot on Team Numenor, but were ultimately like, nah. Are you going to believe Faramir? Or are you going to believe J.R.R. Tolkien? I mean, it all comes from J- Here's the thing. Faramir is a character invented by J.R.R. Tolkien. I can't. Did he, you know? He's a secondhand narrator. I can't trust him. He's getting, getting secondhand information here. Well, we're going to set that issue aside because Tolkien is dead and we're never going to solve it. Unless. Unless. No, we're okay. never going to oh, solve right. it. Well, we do have a Ouija board. We do. We could ask him. Can you imagine if he was summoned from beyond the grave to answer this question? He's like, are you serious? It'd be so long winded. We'd be there all day. getting <laughs> <laughs> letters. Five and... weeks later, we're like, oh, God, we regret this Please, decision. Please, no stuff. <laughs> So once the war with Morgoth was over and the Numenorians were off doing all the Numenorini things in Numenor, the Northmen enjoyed a much more down-to-earth, pre-modern Europe type of existence. So they did a lot of trading along the river Anduin, for example. Yeah. And they also worked as woodsmen in Mirkwood, which was called Greenwood the Great at that time. Right? It was Greenwood the Great before the Necromancer moved in and it got creepy. And once it got creepy, they changed the name to Mirkwood because it was creepy now. But it was originally called Greenwood the Great. It was murky. I don't know if you remember this because it was so long ago, but I did mention that the Northmen had such raging wood for wood (laughs) that they caused substantial deforestation and created the East Bight. Yeah. Which was like a little indent in the the side of Mirkwood. A little bite taken out of the forest. Yeah, they really did that. Well, the forest looked like a snack. They They really did. It looked like such a snack. This forest is an absolute snack from front to back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The men of Lake Town were also Northmen, and it's assumed that they made a living fishing, farming, trading, etc. Man stuff. They weren't sitting around going, man, the Numenorians are so cool. I wish we fought in the Dagobragalach so we could live on a star-shaped island and have a lifespan of hundreds of years like them. They were just getting on with things. Yeah, why not? And incidentally, they weren't isolated either. So, for example, in the Third Age, the Northmen who lived in Dale next to Erebor were definitely trading with dwarves. Sure, and sure. We know the men of Lake Town were trading with the elves of Mirkwood. Yeah, the barrels. So we shouldn't think of them as, like, more primitive than the Numenorians. They were just less, like, lofty. Like, the Numenorians were trading with, like, you know... God. <laughs> not, not gods, but kind of. Wizards. Not really, but yeah, like wizards or like Dragons. elves who were coming over from Tol Erisea, which is like really close to Valinor. Like they were really on just like a different plane. I see. Okay. But still, this was like a sophisticated society these were the in pe- its own right. These were the people's men. The people's men, right? So Almost these were- The our, men's men. These were our comrades. Okay, got it. Uh, so Numenor is like- bourgeois element mm, yeah these are these are the, the proles down here just these are the proles working and taking back except, the for the master, production. except for the master of lake town he is not he is stephen fry he is he is stephen fry and he bad is, teeth yeah so oh, oh side, side note side note by the way um the stores who are the ancestors of the hobbits also lived in rovanian but it doesn't seem like they had much to do with the other peoples during that time because they were very shy all right, so when Numenor sank and Elendil and friends washed up on Middle-earth as refugees, I like to imagine them just being, like, a completely... 
complete hot mess. I imagine they're getting all, like, they're hanging on driftwood, and they're like... Yeah, <laughs> they're all, like, soaking wet and dirty and, like, super traumatized because all their friends and loved Washing ones just Washing up one died. at a time, and then people are just... There's some kids picking up... Elf kids picking up shells, and then they're like, Mommy, look, it's a man! It's a man, Mommy! It's like, don't, don't go, don't get near him! He's we don't know what he has, we don't know if he's had his shots. He might sting you, darling. <laughs> if he does, I'll pee on it. <laughs> yeah, because to elves, the men of Numenor were basically jellyfish. Yes. <laughs> or they were just really into pee. Anyway, <laughs> these guys wash up. They don't know anyone on Middle Earth. They're like basically beggars. Mm-hmm. And then here's the Northmen. They have this functional society with thousands of years of tradition and established trading routes, etc. And yeah, they don't live centuries and they're not the Valor's chosen people or whatever. But in that moment, they were much better off than the Numenorians were. And they encountered these Numenorians for the first time since like the beginning of the second age presumably and yeah. they look like a garbage fire at a hazardous waste <laughs> dump site and they're just like oh hey hey driftwood boys oh it's those guys remember from like thousands of years ago they were like the chosen people of the gods and they got their own special island look at them now they look kind of crappy are they gonna take our jobs yeah <laughs> they take our exactly they're gonna take our job build the wall <laughs> build the no anyway it must have been just a really weird moment i bet it was yeah so anywho these beautiful ageless men washing up on shore yeah well, I mean, not age, they just aged slow. You know what I mean? Very they're, slow. They're probably beautiful. And they were like eight feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> so, Giant men. So, okay. What is the kingdom of Rovanian, though, right? Because we've talked about Rovanian as a region, but at one point it became a kingdom, sort of. So the kingdom of Rovanian was founded in 490 of the Third Age, and the location was the lands between Mirkwood and the river running. So not the whole region of Rovanian, just like the east part of it. Okay. And so it was a kingdom of the Northmen for about 2,000 years, and it was an ally with the kingdom of Gondor. In fact, the kingdom of Rovanian was probably Gondor's most important ally because it served as a buffer against the Easterlings whenever they decided to invade. Meat shield. Yes, a meat shield against brown people. Wonderful. Wonderful. And uh, the Easterlings did decide to invade, in fact, many times. Now, the most prominent king of Rovanian was Vidugavia. Uh, actually, he's kind of referred to as the, quote, so-called king of Rovanian because he never actually united the whole region, only like this one little part east of Greenwood the Great. But whatever, that's just jealousy talking. So because the kingdom of Rovanian was such an important ally, in the 13th century of the Third Age, King Roman de Kiel II of Gondor sent his son Valakar as an ambassador to Vidugavia. You might remember this from the princess episode. Oh, yes, yes. And Valakar thought Rovanian totally ruled, so much so that he married the daughter of the king, and that was Vidumavi, okay. our, our Hindu goddess, who's yes, not actually a Hindu goddess. Yes. And she bore him a son. That's so gross. She bore her herself a son all right it's not it's, not, his, it's like it was a team effort it's a team effort well the, the actual birthing of it was pretty much like you know a one-woman show yeah, yeah, but yeah. anywho and she called that son in her own tongue vinitharia and in gondor vinitharia became known as king eldakar and caused a civil war because he was a mudblood or okay. whatever so that was the kin strife uh but we talked about that before now Real quick, when you say her own tongue, did they not speak the common? They did speak the common tongue, but they also had their own tongues. What was, what was it called? We'll actually get to that okay. in, a, in a second. But yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because linguistics are always important in Tolkien's cosmology. I mean, he came up with the language first, probably. Yes, probably. So the rule of Vidugavia and the marriage
marriage of his daughter to a prince of Gondor was like probably the high watermark for the kingdom of Rovanian. Uh, but unfortunately, things started to fall off shortly thereafter when the Great Plague hit. Oh, no. So the plague came out of the lands east of Rovanian in late 1635 of the Third Age, and it first affected the Northmen who lived there, right? Because they were just there. And I actually tried to figure out what this Great Plague was, and there was like, no information, like no information. Like we don't even really know what the symptoms were. We just know that it hmm. killed a ton of people. I looked up all the historical, like the earliest historical plagues, most of which were caused by um plague, but there were some Bonics. earlier ones. So I looked up the oldest ones we have on record and they come from like you know, the ancient Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. And so some of those we think might have been, for example, typhus. Okay. Uh, typhus or measles or something that wasn't actually bubonic plague, but it is hard to tell. We're basing this on like what we're able to extract from the teeth of people who died. Yeah, we got to find the teeth of those Ravanian people and figure yeah, out what kind of disease Extract the poop so, from these ancient fossilized. This teeth. one had depression. I mean, part. <laughs> this one had depression. It was a plague of depression. My goodness, they're all very sad. They but just couldn't get out of bed. They couldn't knock it out. Oh my god, this one had hay fever. <laughs> That's what killed him. Um, no, part of the problem Pink is eye, that... my goodness. <laughs> Pink eye isn't really a communicable disease. It's just like when you rub poop in your eye. It really affects your teeth, though. There actually were a couple plagues on that list that yeah. I looked up that were like salmonella. And oh, it's like, really? well, is that a plague or is this just you're all like pooping in your water source? I mean, like, I guess it's a plague. I mean, it's a plague. It's, it's a plague of humans. I just think of plague as like a disease that sweeps. Uh, I don't know. But anyway. Maybe you should open your definition of plagues a little bit. To, maybe a, a bit to of, encompass pooping and water maybe supply. Bit, I guess it wouldn't be salmonella. That'd be E. coli. You're a little bit bubonic-centric I mean. here. Okay. I am a little bit bubonic-centric. But most of the plagues that they have recorded in history were bubonic plague. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, part of the problem is that this far back, because remember this would have taken place like before recorded history, there might have been pathogens that we do not have now. Or it might have been related to the pathogens that we have now, but it would have mutated so much over time that whatever they had back then does not precisely resemble what we have now. Right? Right. So it's like, what are these things people died of? We don't know. We have to judge based on the symptoms that were recorded, and sometimes they don't really match up. Well, they're thinking with all the climate change that some of those bacteria might be locked in icebergs and things like that. Oh, good! And so we're going to get a bunch of cool ancient diseases we haven't had to deal with before. Fall in love all over again with ancient forms of typhus. Yay! Yay! What I'm trying to say is we don't know what the plague was, but it killed half the people of Rovanian. And then, seeing their opportunity, a loose confederation of Easterling tribes decided to hop in their little wagons and attack Rovanian and enslave many of the Northmen who were still alive. So it's kind of like there was that huge plague that swept through the indigenous peoples of North America sure. right before the Europeans came. I don't even know if that was intentional on the Europeans' part. I think they just got they lucky. Yeah, mad lucky. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's kind of like that, right? Attacking them when they're at their weakest. So for years, Rovanian was enslaved, but then they revolted while Gondor attacked the Wainwright from the west. So Rovanian was freed, but it was left extremely weakened, and many men of Rovanian left for Gondor, where they were welcomed as distant relatives. As for the rest of the kingdom of Rovanian, well, what little cohesion there was sort of crumbled at that point. So around 2460 of the Third Age, Sauron returned as the necromancer, mm-hmm. and he took residence at Dol Guldur in the south of Greenwood, and that's when it got queepy, and it was renamed Mirkwood. Queepwood. Queepwood, and the dwarves of Erebor and the men of Dale were destroyed and scattered when Smaug took Erebor. And then some of the men still lived in the forest. So, for example, um, the Bjornings mm-hmm. and the men of Eskaroth upon the Long Lake or Lake Town. And then the men of the Aethaid 
right? So remember, they eventually became Rohan. Yeah. They were invited south by Gondor in, in like, as a reward for their uh, support when Gondor was being attacked. And they settled uh, in what later became Rohan. And then after being driven out of Erebor, the dwarves relocated and some of them went to the Iron Hills, but most went to Eredwin in Eriador. Okay. Right? So this was the state of things during event of The Hobbit. The kingdom has kind of broken up and the peoples are scattered and it's no longer any kind of force. Some good news, though. At the end of the Third Age, the kingdoms of Erebor and Dale were restored. Right? Because Smaug was killed. Okay. There was the Battle of Five Armies. And, and Sauron was removed from Mirkwood by Gandalf. And then after Sauron was defeated in the War of the Ring, Mirkwood was clean again. And it was renamed Erin Lasgallen, or Wood of Green Leaves. That sounds like somebody's D&D character. It does sound like somebody's D&D character. But then again, we could say so everybody's, D- everybody's D&D character sounds, sounds like, like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Sometime during the Fourth Age, Gondor claimed large parts of that wood, which sounds kind of lame, but maybe at that point there weren't enough Northmen left to really administer it? Well, there's men, and they live in the North, and make some Northmen in my book. Maybe there weren't enough of them, though, to make proper use of it? I don't know, that sounds really capitalist, but anyway. Let's end on some cultural notes. Okay. So the fandom wiki has a big section about the militaries of Rovanian, which makes me wonder if it was written by one of those kids who's like really into guns and always talks about how his uncle's in the army. But anyways. Probably, probably, and then they wielded uh, halberds and zweihandas. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like but that. Not, people think they probably used um, 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 bastard swords, but no, it was really probably more a cavalry unit with like... Uh, uh, pikes and lances as opposed to on-the-ground infantry with single-handed weapons and armor and... Yeah. And they probably will... People are saying they play mail. They probably will ring mail because it prevents arrows from getting in the battle and... You, you, you've talked... You talk as if you, you know somebody like this. Did you have kids like this? Uh, I have... Just had experience uh, online. Oh, uh, if you got okay, you were online. Well, the, that explains. They're the it. same people who are like, actually, it's uh, it's a katana, not a wakizashi. Uh, the size is different in katana than a daikatana because it's two-handed and blah blah. Well, that's the kind of person who wrote this. So I'm not Pretty sure exactly cool how canon this mean. is. So. Uh, the larger, more established kingdoms of the north, such as Dale and Lake Town, would have had some kind of regular standing army, which would have been sort of men at arms with like a sword and a wooden shield, possibly some metal stuff that they would have worked out with like the dwarves, because the dwarves sure. could do metallurgy. Yeah, yeah. And there would have been a militia or a town guard, because the majority of the humans in the north were like farmers, and so they needed their full attention on the harvest. So there would have been like a, a militia, basically. It wouldn't have been like a formal sort of military. And then further up the hierarchy, there would have been axemen, like woodcutters and loggers. That's what they already had. So that's what they're going to use. Sure. There could have been mounted knights and armed cavalry. Relative thoughts on the military. He probably got it from like one of the Lord of the Rings like strategy games or something. He right? probably did. Take all of that that I just said with a grain of salt. However, you don't have to take this with a grain of salt. This is a note on language you mentioned earlier. Yes. So generally, the Northmen spoke common speech because they were men. Men generally did, and hobbits did. Sure. However, they also had their own native languages. So, for example, the Rohirrim spoke Rohiric, which Tolkien represented as Old English. So, like, names like Eowyn and Thangol are very Old English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the people of Bard and the Woodmen 
spoke a language similar, it's similar to Rohiric in terms of like the general language group, meaning Tolkien used Old Norse names. Okay. So it's related to Rohiric in the same way as Old English and Norse are related. Got it. So for example, Bard's grandson is called Brand, and that translates to Torch okay. in like, Old Norse. What about Vidumavi? Vidumavi is like God only knows. Hold on, let me look it up. I, I tried. Let me look it up. Gothic. Oh, it's Gothic. Vidumavi is a Gothic name meaning wood maiden. Got it. And she lived kind of near the woods. Yes. Yes. So it is entirely possible that they were speaking Gothic in the kingdom of Rovanian. Interesting. Yes. Or something that Tolkien represented with Gothic. So I should imagine them all with like black eyeliner and, and talking about uh, the cure and crying. I mean, speaking Gothic is like... You know, 90% My Chemical Romance lyrics. And talking about, and like, whining about your parents. My parents cut up all my CDs. Uh, I came home at like 2 in the morning and they were like, why are you out so late? And I was like, whatever. Whatever. I was backing out of the driveway and my dad was like, you're going too fast. And I was like, whatever. Uh, uh, my life is agony. Goth kids like don't exist anymore. Not in the way we remember them. But they existed in Rovanian, and that's what they spoke. They spoke Gothic. Gothic. They spoke Gothic. It changes everything. Yeah. Anywho, what do you have for me today? hang on. Thanks for that quick little travelogue. Today I want to teach you about a very important thing for me when I was a Star Wars child in 1996. Uh Uh-huh. It's an interesting piece of Star Wars history that I don't think people care about anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> they care if they they care enough to listen to a podcast about it. So I, I'm talking about a little something something called Shadows of the Empire, and I say something something because Shadows of the Empire it was not just a book, which was the main thing, a novel. Oh, it was like a whole experience. It was not just a video game; it was a multimedia project. So this was created by Lucasfilm in 1996, and the idea was that they'd make a story that was set between The Empire Strikes Back. In Return of the Jedi. He's got like a little bit of time there. It's like, what happened? You get in Return of the Jedi and it's like, why is Leia dressed up like a bounty hunter? Why has Luke got a green lightsaber? What's all this about? And they're supposed to kind of fill that gap in with this, this story. Okay. But the idea was that they would explore all commercial possibilities of merchandising without making a movie. And so uh, it's... Oh, okay. So the idea was making a movie to sell toys is expensive. So let's make a book to sell toys. Sort That's of, but not, not just a book, uh, a junior novelization, a comic book series, a video game on the N64, Whoa. a soundtrack, a soundtrack for a book, trading cards, RPGs, posters, model kits, micro machines, toys, statuettes, vinyl dolls, and the series of action figures and vehicles. All of these things came out about this story that had no movie attached to it. And is now not even canon, probably. No, it's been, I mean, some things have been re-included into it, but if you remember, 1997 is when the A New Hope Special Edition came out. Yes. They had to kind of, kind of reinvigorate interest in Star Wars before not only they had the special editions come out, but before the prequels came out. This is, this, oh, is a, this is a calculated thing. Oh, I see. But I'm talking about mostly the book today. I want to talk more about the other things later on because I, of course, as a child in 1996, I was nine years old and I had a lot of the stuff from it. So this book was aimed at children, or? They had a youth version of it. This book was aimed at young adults. Adults, young adults. I say, I say young adults. All Star Wars books are readable by an elementary school student. Like me at the time. I was in fourth grade and I read this book. But does it have adult themes? It does actually. But I didn't realize it at the time. So it's fine. Okay. But I have the toys and everything. So anyway, I'm talking about the book. 
today. I'm, I'm, it's going to be a little longer than my other ones. Most of my book reports, I cover a single child's book in half an hour. This is going to be have to chop it up a little bit. Shadows of the Empire is written by Steve Perry. Uh, oh, really? Not, not, well, that's quite, that's quite a departure from his usual career. Unfortunately, not the lead singer of Journey, though I wish it was. Oh my god, he went his separate way to write this. Now, this is a guy who did comic books and some other movie novelizations before working on Star Wars books. And our prologue begins, the very first line of this book is... Basically, just dunking on the Emperor's looks. <laughs> I mean, he looks bad. So like, he, says, looks, he looks real rough. He looks like a walking corpse, Zizor thought. Like a mummified body dead for a thousand years. Amazing he's still alive, much less the most powerful man in the galaxy. He, he sure does look bad. He yeah. sure does look bad. But it's not necessarily because he's so ancient. It's just because he's so evil. Right. And when you're evil, you turn into, like, this gross thing with glowing yellow eyes and, like, just a lot of sagging folds. Just so many sagging folds. A lot of sagging folds. But unlimited power. Bag and sag and folds. <laughs> so this prologue is about Prince Zizor, who is going to be a character who's going to come up a lot in this book. I'll get to him in a minute. He's the leader of the Black Sun Criminal Organization. They're kind of like this, this underground crime syndicate. Uh, and he's hanging with the Emperor, who just happens to be in the middle of a conference call with Darth Vader. The one that was in Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> They're FaceTiming. <laughs> we know in Empire Strikes Back when he shows up as a big hologram. Oh, yeah! And he's like, the son of Skywalker. Well, it turns out, just out of camera shot, was Prince Zizor. All that time? Just standing there. No. Yeah. He was, he was he's being admirably quiet. And so he's like, you have to find the son of Skywalker. You know, that's what, that whole conversation. Oh, hold on, the connection's bad. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> it's turning right over here. My stupid Google Hangouts. I have to restart Discord, Vader. <laughs> Who is Prince Zizor? He's a falling, which is a species that's uh, kind of this humanoid green people. I picture it like a deer person. No. Falling. It sounds like a deer person. Falling. That's, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Or like a Dolly Parton song. Fallen! No, he's a green reptohumanoid. Okay, the most important thing about Fallen is that they have these attraction pheromones. Oh. These yummy smells that makes everyone think they look like a snack. So they're unbelievably sexy. Smelling. Caesar is especially so because he wears a sick top knot. On top of his like head. a like a like a old timey Japanese person. He's bald except for his top knot, and he wears these awesome space kimonos. His physique is amazing. Here's how it's described: He could kick a sunfruit off the top of a tall humanoid's head without a warm up stretch, and he, lift, and he can lift twice his own weight over his head using only his own muscles. So he's literally like this cool karate green Japanese guy. He's a horny green man. He's a horny green man who does karate. Coincidentally, one of Steve Perry's other writing credits is the novelization of The Mask, which is also about a horny green man. <laughs> oh my god! Steve Perry loved writing about a horny bald, green man. horny green man. Is there any part where, like, King Zizor sings an old, like, Desi Arnaz song? He does say, Somebody stop me! They call me Cuban Peace. <laughs> hey, Pachuco! Here's a picture of Prince Zizor. In all of his glory. Oh, it's kind of a top knot, but it's more just like a ponytail. It's like the back of his head top knot. Yeah, top knot is it's not a knot, though. It's literally just a ponytail. The action figure I had of him had a top knot, however. So I think that we're going to agree with that as the most canon source is his toy. So anyway, it turns out Zizor knows the whole Empire twist that Luke Skywalker is Darth Vader's kid. He knows this. He's like part of a criminal organization with How spies and stuff. How many people knew and said nothing? Like three or four, but he didn't say anything. He just knew it. And that's the prologue. The actual book st- proper starts right after the end of Empire. Luke is doing Jedi solo training with his new lightsaber that he uh, he's trying to build. He's on Tatooine with Lando, Chewie, the droids, and Leia. He keeps having Han Solo carbonite nightmares. Your poor boyfriend is trapped in a slab. But first we catch up with our boy, Zizor. Now, Zizor is a character that, as far as I know, only shows up in the Shadows of the Empire series. And you will find that I think he's Steve Perry's favorite character. He gets a lot of book time. More than the main characters from the film's 
more than our other secondary characters that get introduced, he is like the main character of this book. Okay. And it's great because he's extremely like the coolest guy of all time. Prince Izor is in the process of hiring new assassins with his HRD Guri. Do you remember HRDs? Hillary Rodham Dinton. Dintons. <laughs> but her emails. No. <laughs> Now, if you remember in Queen of the Empire, the Jedi Prince book, they made an HRD of Princess Leia. Remember the, the Princess Leia with laser eyes? Oh, it's like a little android that it's they a, make. It's to... a human replica droid is what HRD stands for. She's unique, and she passes for a human, and she's a mega babe at that. She had long and blonde silky hair, pale and clear blue eyes, and an exquisite figure. Not only that, she can eat, drink, and perform all the more personal functions of a woman without anybody the wiser. Oh, good lord. And she was the only one of her kind programmed to be an assassin. So he made himself, like, a real doll that can do karate. And also, yeah, kill people. And okay. she cost nine million credits. Cool. So, you know, top of the line. I think that's how much, you know, real dolls cost. I want to note here, the assassins he hires aren't that important. They're in some of the comic books or something, but their species is listed as epicanthics. Um, something to do with their eyelids? They're space Asians, yeah. Good lord, we're just, like, defining a whole species based on how their eyelids do or don't fold. Yep. Cool. Yep. Cool. So his big plan- Really cool. That's so, so anyway, cool. Caesar is talking about his big plan. His big plan is to kill Darth Vader. Why? We don't know yet. When we get back to Leia, she's waiting for Lando at the most Isley Cantina with Chewie and a bunch of gross alien dudes who keep coming up to hit on her. But Chewie keeps scaring them off. Good job, Chewie. Good job. When Lando shows up, he tells her that Boba Fett's ship, the Slave One, has been spotted around this moon on the Outer Rim called Gaul. And Boba still hasn't delivered Han's carbonite slab to Jabba the Hutt yet. Hmm. So they're like, hmm, I bet Han is still on that ship. So Lando's got one of his guys investigating, a smuggler named Dash Rendar. Dash? Rendar. Now, that's a Star Wars name if I've ever heard one. More on him later. He's also very cool. Back to our boy Zizor. He's meeting with Vader himself on Coruscant. Vader's arranging some shipments of some supplies through Zizor's Black Sun Front, the Zizor transport system. But everything they say has double meanings. It's kind of like a cool sort of like psychological duel they're having with each other. Like a double entendre? Yeah. Well, they used to have like, they're just trying to like put digs into the other and kind of read what the other one is saying. Oh. It compares them to two brothers trying to outdo each other in the eyes of a critical father. So why does Zizor hate Vader so much? Vader had a pet project on Zizor's homeworld of Falling to create, what else, a bioweapon. In a galaxy of fearish turn of events, the bacterium got out and infected his entire capital city. Because, like, Falling. all Imperial scientists are horrible at being scientists. Yeah, and the Empire had to sterilize it with some orbital lasers. It killed about 200,000 Falling. so many Lysol wipes. Uh, and also wiped out all of Caesar's family while he was off-world, oh, no. so... Yikes. But he decides during this conversation that killing Vader, it'd be too easy, too satisfying for, for Vader. I could do it if I wanted to. It's just that it would be too like, easy I could definitely, like, snap his neck if I wanted to. I'm just, like, not like, gonna. It just wouldn't even be fun, because it's just like, too bro, easy. Bro, hold me back, bro. Like, I could mess him up. I just, like, I'm holding myself back. But instead, he decides, I'm going to ruin his reputation with the Emperor. I'm going to break him before his master and assume his place as the second most powerful man in the galaxy. I'm also going to give him so many negative ratings on Yelp. So I'm much. I'm going to create like so many alternate accounts just to give him one star. Dinner was half an hour late. What the hell? So he's getting double whammy revenge, not only for his parents, but also he's being the right-hand man of the Emperor when all is said and done. And as we know, it worked out perfectly, as we saw in Return of the Jedi. Yes, oh yeah, as we all, yeah, as we all saw. Back to Luke. He's actually staying at Obi-Wan's old house on Tatooine. Yeah. Trying to build his lightsaber, which has taken a really long time. Thankfully, Obi-Wan left some old Jedi manuals around so he can kind of read of how to do it and everything. Leia shows up and tells him that they know where Boba Fett is, and Luke's like, all right, let me call up Wedge and the boys in Rogue Squadron. We'll go kick his ass. 
And they do. I mean, I don't know why they need to do that. Like, our buddy Dash Render has got it under control, but, you know, a little bit of backup, why not? Why boys not? will be boys. Yeah. On his way to the Imperial Center, Prince Zizor is attacked by a guy who says Zizor killed his dad. In case you can't tell, this book jumps around a lot. There's I'm just like, saying, I'm like, I'm having a hard time following it. There are like three or four or five plots going on at a time, and each chapter is broken up into like paragraphs where it like kind of jumps between all of them. So I apologize for the whiplash, but I'm just going in sequential order here. So Prince Zizor is attacked by a guy who says Zizor killed his dad, but Zizor does sick martial arts and snaps his neck. Yeah. The whole time, the Emperor and Darth Vader are watching him, Tony Jaw the guy. And the Emperor notes- <laughs> all knees and elbows. Yeah, they're watching on holograms. Like, Emperor notes how sick he is and makes Vader mad jealous. Like, look at how awesome he is. Like, he's so good at fighting, Vader. Like, he's like the, he's like the son I, I always wanted but never had. Also, I get the distinct impression that his genitals are larger than yours. Mm. I don't know why. It's and just this air he has about him. The top knot? Mwah. Chef kiss. Just, mm. Back at his base, Ezer has a meeting with his nine Vigos, who are like his lieutenants in his yeah. organization. They're nine Vigo Mortensons. Five Vigo, nine Vigo Mortensons. <laughs> yes, so many Vigo Mortensons. One of whom he knows is a spy. And mm. so he's having each one report on their business deal. So they're like, you know, spice trades up 21%. The slave revenues are down 53%. All that sort of stuff. And Guri slowly circles the table, stopping behind each one, pausing to give them fear. When it's Green the Human's turn. His name is Green the Human. Green, Green the Human? Green the Human. <laughs> like his last name is The Human? Like Jabba the Hutt, maybe? He's Green the Human? Green the Human. Well, anyway, he, it's his turn to talk. Guri chokeholds him until he dies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was that, that was the test? That was the spy. <laughs> if you die. It's like how they tested like witches in yeah, Salem. They, if we chokehold you and you die, you're a witch. And Caesar says to contend with Caesar is to lose. Never forget that. Well, I mean, he can't remember it either because he died. After the meeting, Caesar tells Guri to post his price for a bounty on Luke Skywalker's. His plan is to capture Luke and kill him before Vader can ever get him. Because the whole idea is that Vader is trying to get Luke for the Emperor to be his new apprentice. And if he kills Luke from underneath Vader, it's going to ruin his, his total his score with the Emperor. You know? Yeah, definitely. For sure. And he lets Guri know to tell everyone that, like, because Boba Fett has his friend Han Solo. So let all the bounty hunters know that, too. Yeah. If they find Boba Fett, you might find Han, I might find a Luke Skywalker. Luke and the gang meet with Wedge and Rogue Squadron, not far from that planet Gaul where Boba Fett is hanging out. Okay. There's also a mysterious individual at the base as well. He had red hair and pale skin, tall, lean, with green eyes. He wore freighter togs, a gray coverall, and bolstered blasters slung low on his hip. He looked to be about Han's age, Leia figured, and he had that same lazy, insolent look about him. He came to his feet and made a low, sweeping, theatrical bow. Princess Leia, he said. How delightful of you to visit us here in our humble castle, your highness. He waved at the big empty room and grinned. Leia shook her head. Could Han have a long-lost brother? Did these guys take lessons of how to speak smart mouth? Lando said, this is Dash Rendar. Thief, card cheat, smuggler, and an okay pilot. Just okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here's this weird ginger. He's okay at flying ships. Yeah, so Dash Rendar, as you can tell, is the coolest dude in the galaxy. And he's definitely not Han Solo. Yeah, yeah! Oh my god, he like screams 90s action star. He's like a combination of like a Snake Plissken and a Rob Liefeld character. I'm showing Joanna pictures. He picture, is like, yes. I mean, he is, what, what is he even wearing over his shoulders? He is wearing like these enormous, they look like the kind of padding you would see in the interior of an automobile. He <laughs> is wearing just multiple belts. His jeans are relaxed fit. Oh, definitely. He has such a Clint Eastwood glower in his eyes. Yeah, day old, day or two old stubble. Yeah. He's really cool. He's got veins a popping in his arms. He's a cool looking guy. And also an okay pilot. 
So Wedge talks about how dangerous the planet Gaul is. Lots of storms, which Wedge does not want to fly through in an X-Wing because they're obviously made of metal. So Dash goes, maybe you wouldn't want to until he's about to eat thunderstorms for breakfast. He eats thunderstorms for breakfast? That's how cool Wedge is. He eats <laughs> what a lie! Hang on, let me try that again. I eat thunderstorms for breakfast. That doesn't even make sense. I eat thunderstorms for breakfast. That makes no sense. But he does. Do you stand out in a thunderstorm and like get to the top of uh, you know like a, a tall steel structure and open your mouth and just wait for yeah. a lightning bolt to like come? Dash Randa opens his he mouth and eats a storm baby. every single morning. Yeah, dude, eating storms for breakfast. Mm-hmm. More importantly, the planet Gaul is the home of two star destroyers. Which Luke does the math and figures there's about 144 Tie Fighters for their 12 X wings to fight against. Whoa. So the big plan is the X-Wing is going to keep the TIE Fighters busy while Dash leads the Millennium Falcon to Boba Fett on the planet's surface in his sick ship, the Outrider. It's called the Outrider? Yeah, the Outrider. It's a cowboy. It's a Corellian vessel. Actually, you know what? Hold on. Hold on. What do you have? What Hold do you on. have? Oh my god, you have Hold a little on. ship of it. Hold god on. damn it, Ryan. Hold on. This is the Outrider, baby. That's the Outrider, baby. This is the Outrider, baby. So tell us what the Outrider looks like. It looks like the Millennium Falcon. (laughs) Well, it's a Corellian ship. It looks like the Millennium Falcon with, like, a little bite taken out of it. A chunk, yes. With, like, like, a bite. Like, an east bite. Yum, yum, yum. Taken out of it. An East Bite taken out of the Millennium Falcon. Otherwise, it just looks like the Millennium Falcon. Um, And it looks like it, can, it has turrets on top. On, on top and on bottom, so it can flip upside down and just shoot exactly. wherever. Exactly. And otherwise, it just looks like the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Without the funny nose bit. Without right? the funny nose bit, yes. The Outrider. Yeah. A droid stood next to it, a stripped-down skeletal model with a tool bag slung over one shoulder. This is Dash's droid named LE-66, or Lebo. Lebo, okay. You know, he answers to that when he bothers to answer at all. <laughs> he like, has a tune. Everyone hates Dash. Uh, anyways, mission time. Time to go. Pew, pew. Luke and Wedge and Rogue Squadron are flying around, blowing up TIE fighters left and right in space, while the Outrider and the Millennium Falcon are flying low over Gaul, almost touching the trees below. And they're like, is this guy nuts? He's flying so close to the ground. And Lando's like, let me tell you the story of the Rendars. So Dash was in the Imperial Academy, just a year behind Han Solo. Okay, so he's like a year younger? Because yes. he looks considerably older in that picture you showed me. Yeah, I know. I think he maybe was held back or something. I don't know. He was, uh, <laughs> he was held back like 16 times. Anyway, his family was wealthy, and they operated a shipping company, the Rendar Shipping Company. Uh, then his brother accidentally crashed one of their freighters into the Emperor's private museum and burned it to the ground. Oh my god! Ay ay ay. And so the Empire seized the Rendar's property and kicked Dash out of the Academy, because the Emperor Emperor is pissed, obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, as one would be. He had some Degas in there and stuff. It was really big. So that's why he's yeah. like, you know, an okay pilot. It's an okay pilot. If you, you're, you're a good pilot if you don't destroy a museum, but if you destroy a museum, you're just an okay pilot. This is his brother. It wasn't Dash. Well, okay. But, okay, so why did he kick Dash out? Because the whole family got all their assets claimed and they didn't have any money to keep sending to the uh, academy. Oh, that's embarrassing. So yeah. he, did, he, did, he didn't kick him out because of the crash. He kicked him out because he was broke. Well, indirectly because of the crash. Okay, got it. He doesn't want to owe anybody. He doesn't want anybody to owe him, says Lando. He works for whoever pays the most. He's downright magic with anything that flies, and he can pick wing nuts off a tabletop with a blaster without scorching the finish. He's a good man to have at your back when the going gets hot, as long as your money lasts. Wow, he literally could not be cooler. He has no flaws, and he's really cool. Okay. Dude. Let's go back to our other coolest character, Prince Zizor. Here's a gross paragraph. Oh, God. Late afternoon shaded into evening as Zizor left the house of his mistress, an almost palatial dwelling he had bestowed upon her as a going-away gift. 
though she did not yet know the affair was over. Caesar never spent more than a few months with any female. Because of his hormonal makeup, his ability to produce overwhelmingly powerful pheromones, he never had any trouble attracting new companions. Because it was so easy, he quickly tired of them, no matter how beautiful, no matter how clever. He never found a companion he could consider his equal, and if he ever did well, how would he be able to trust anyone that adept? Moreover, once a meal was eaten, no matter how delicious, he preferred to dine on a different delicacy the next time. Well, that's disgusting. Uh, what did you think about that as a child? I didn't get it. To continue, his mistress would receive a call from Guri shortly, a generous severance payment and good wishes for her future. She'd also be told never to attempt contact with Zizor again. Should she do so, the consequences would be dire. Thus far, only one of his ex-companions had tried to see him after their arrangement had been terminated. That unfortunate woman, he was told, had become part of a tall commercial plex in the southern enclave, courtesy of a giant factory-like construction droid that somehow, alas, accidentally mixed her in with a vat of duracrete. Life was full of dangers, even here. Man, when you're done with the woman, you just gotta sever. Sever, and then, if that doesn't work, turn her into a building. Dump her into concrete. That's the Zizor way. More like Prince Skizor. I'd say, I, I don't know, I think he sounds really cool. And not at all creepy and awful. Well, obviously Steve Perry of Journey does. I think so. I think that he's very cool. I think he's got a real case of the affluenza. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's what people with affluenza do. They date a lot of women and they turn them into buildings. And he's got pheromones to boot, so it's like even worse. God. You know what? Have you ever noticed that anybody online who talks about pheromones is like extremely gross? Yeah, Zizor is that guy. Okay, he's that guy. He's like a PUA. He's like on the pickup artist forums. He's talking about, you know... HB nines or whatever, and yeah, like I, I put them on, on, like you know, before I went to Red Robin and the waitress, <laughs> I can tell was just drooling. Yeah, yeah. She made eye contact with me for like 0.16 seconds, and I knew I had her. In I my knew grasp. I had her. It's the pheromones, bro. So then he goes to a super exclusive restaurant in Coruscant with reservations he made months in advance. It's like this is the kind of thing we interrupt our cool story about Dash Rendar with. Yeah. Is like Zizor just like being a cool guy. Just being a being total. A, being a real alpha, a real alpha Chad, you know? He is. He's such a Chad. So we get back to like space fights and dash the man Rendar. Rendar! Lailing forward. There it is. There's Fett's ship. Been fun, people, Dash said. See you around. Ahead of them, the Outrider pulled up in a hard climb and rocketed towards space. <laughs> Where are you going? Lando shouted. Hey, you didn't pay me to shoot, only to guide. I'm out of here. Blast you, Dash! Ain't nothing you can do about it! That's Dash Rendar, people! Dude! Now they're being tailed by TIE Fighters, and not only that, Boba Fett's ship is taking off. The TIE Fighters scramble them, and Boba manages to get away. So, blast again. All that for nothing. Can I just say, though, how much of these books I read as a kid, and I've read a lot of these, like, X-Wing dogfights in text form are, like, really hard to follow and kind of boring after a while. No, they are. It's true. Actually, I this might be blasphemy to say this, or it might be just, like... A widely agreed upon point, but the battles in Tolkien are also hard to follow. And yeah, kind of battles are just tough to describe in an exciting way. They do their best. It's like the Quidditch parts in yeah. Harry Potter. It's hard, kind of hard. Don't to f- come for me. You know it's true. Yeah, just like they talked about, like oh, there's Tie Fighters behind him, and he blasts him. Red Six on your left. And blah, blah, blah. It's just it's such like- a visual thing that's really hard to convey in text. Yeah. I, I, I'll be honest. Like I very, very seldom read any sort of battle scene where I'm like, oh, that was really cool. I want to read that again. Most of the time, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm glad that's over. I end up kind of skimming these. To be fair. So anyway, Luke's doing fine, by the way. And there's like a, a ton of Tie Fighters. He's doing fine. His other boys are doing okay too. Uh, but one of the X Wings is actually malfunctioning and is shooting. At Luke specifically. What? Are you sure it's malfunctioning? And the pilot's like, no, I can't do it. My hands are off the controls. What's going on? He does some fancy flying and manages to deactivate the R2 unit on board, which yes. stops the shooting from happening, but it's super weird. Which of his friends is? I bet it's Jed Porkins. Jed Porkins is dead. So the Outrider, Dash Rendar, arrives back at the Rogue Squadron hangar 15 minutes before the Millennium Falcon does, and Luke is pissed that Dash left his friends behind. 
on the planet's surface. Well, yeah, that was really irresponsible, Dash. What good are you? Dash like, what, kid? You gonna shoot me? I didn't make them go there. I was hired as a guide, so I got it. End of story. I think he's supposed to be, like, cool and cavalier, but he's actually just obnoxiously irresponsible and untrustworthy. Yeah, Luke actually contemplates force choking the dude. Yeah, you should. But then he's like, isn't it Obi-Wan's like, calm down, like, sound Jedi's do. And he's like, oh, he's that guy. He's a huge a-hole so far, I have to say. He's like, I mean, Obi-Wan's like, something your dad would do. And he's like, I don't want to be my dad. Okay, fine, fine, go dash, we'll do anything. So it turns out that the R2 unit and that X-Wing that was firing on him had a restraining bolt that was programming him to shoot at Luke specifically. Oh. And so Wedge goes. that on there? Well, that's, I don't know. And Wedge goes and tells Luke, and they go back to find the droid, and the droid is just a pile of rubble. He's been blown up. <gasps> Not only that, but the crew chief that's been working in the hangar bay starts shooting at him. Oh my god. Somebody's trying to, like, ghost squadron. They're trying to, like, leave no, no, no traces behind. Wedge blasts her, and she's, she's done. But it's super, super weird. So I look up her information, and they see that she got 10,000 credits into her account the day that Luke arrived at the Rogue Squadron hangar bag. That's a coincidence. And it was funneled through a dummy corporation called Saber Enterprises, which is closely associated with the Empire. Everyone's like, oh, it's Vader! He's trying to kill you, Luke! And he's like, maybe. Hmm. Saber Enterprises. Hmm. Weird. Let me come back to our cool guy, Zizor. He's exercising, quote-unquote, with this thing called a myostim unit. He just, you. So it's like this... I already think it sounds gross, and I don't even know what it is. It's like this pod he lies in, and he just lies there, and the <laughs> sensor field flexes his muscles in sequence. Oh, so it's like that belt that you put yes. on your abdomen that makes your abdomen from like, flex. From like the 1910s, yes, it's that. Or like that thing where they just like rubs a towel or a belt or yeah. whatever on your back, mean, and just like, like jiggles your fat well, I feel like I'm getting thinner now in the 1910s. This, this is the pat cat's pajamas. Did it actually work? It does work. It gets him super buff. Oh my god. And so Guri comes in and tells him that his first attempt at killing Luke Skywalker was a dud. He's like, oh, that's predictable. I thought that would happen. But he's got wheels than wheels. More plants broiling up, baby. Zizor tells him to set up another meeting with Vader. Because he always wants to meet with Vader in this book. He meets him a ton. <laughs> it's just like this whole book is him trying to meet with Vader. Yeah. Leia sends Luke and R2 back to Tatooine to wait for Boba Fett. Because he still has Han Solo. She also hires Dash to tail Luke as a secret bodyguard. Okay. Because Dash has done a really good job so far. Yeah, he's proven himself to just be incredibly trustworthy so far, so why not give him more money? Meanwhile, she asks Lando how to contact someone high up in the Black Sun organization so she can discover who tried to kill Luke. Because he has a lot of spies, not from parts of the galaxy. So Lando flies him to Rhodia, the Rhodian planet, to meet with his bud Avaro. Who is also Greedo's uncle. Oh, wow. Greedo's uncle. Greedo's uncle. Wait, so Greedo's uncle is high up in the... He has... He knows people. He runs a casino on Rhodia, and he knows Black Sun contacts. Wait, sorry, because I thought the way you made it sound, it sounded like Greedo was just part of this poor nothing family that had nothing going for them, except that he had like a cool jacket that got stolen by Han Solo. If you remember, he his mom ran away from their clan. Yes. And their clan was wiped out. Yes. This bounty hunting clan, but... Not everyone got wiped out. Apparently his uncle Avaro was fine. He invested in a casino. But could not give less of a crap about Greedo and his mom, apparently. Oh, no. Because... You'll find out later. Oh, okay. He talks about Greedo, and you'll find that he does not give a crap. Zizor meets with Vader on the Emperor's personal skyhook, which is like this thing that floats above the surface of the planet. It's kind of like Cloud City, but it's above Coruscant. Okay. And he tells me he found a, he's found a secret rebel base in the Lileba system. But the truth is, it's not a rebel base at all. It's actually the home of Aurora Transportation, which is a company that dared to tread on the Black Sun spice operations. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of like Gus Fring, you know, trying to like oh, like these guys are trying to horn in on my spice territory. I'm trying to sell some drugs here, and this Aurora Transportation get in my way. But he's so t- in your metaphor, Aurora Transportation is like Los Poyos. Zizor is like Gus Fring. Zizor is like Gus Fring. Yes, and he's trying to take out like the Salamancas. 
The Salamancas, which one's the transportation? The Aurora transportation is Salamancas. Okay. And Zizor is Gus Fring, trying to take them out. From oh, down this I territory, see. You see. So he tells who's, Vader. Who's Jesse Pinkman? Um, uh, Dash Rendar. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he tells Vader that, no, there's a rebel base there. You should go blow it up. And he's like, fine, okay, I'll do that. And so he reports to the Emperor, and the Emperor's like, go yourself, take your personal Star Destroyer, destroy them. And Vader starts to think maybe something's up between the Emperor and Zizor here. He feels he's getting kind of set up a little bit. Hmm, you think? Yes. So I know that's not a super cool cliffhanger, like Vader being like, hmm, Zizor's up to something. But that's where I'm going to end it for today, because I want to keep it under an hour of episodes. So that's the first part of Shadows of the Empire. Wow. How many chapters is it? 40 chapters. 40? I'm used to like 12. I know. And this covered about uh, 13 of them, 15 of them. Okay, so it's definitely going to be like a three-parter. As I found out while reading it, there's a lot of cutaways that don't actually do anything. It's just like showing off how cool Prince Zizor is. Okay. Or like... So it's literally like just like, to show how cool Steve Perry's OC is. I left out a ton of bits where it's just Vader practicing with lightsaber droids. <laughs> Like, just being really good at it. Yeah, it's just like, like he's so strong. His long hair was blowing in the wind. It's, it's Vader. Vader practicing lightsaber droids. Yeah, I know. Just be, he doesn't have hair. His long hair could still blow in the wind. He doesn't have he hair. Put on, he put on a wig just oh, so it would blow in the wind, and, and like put on like a fan so it would blow. But it's like, and the whole time he's like, "Oh man, Zizor is really cool. The Emperor likes him better." Like that's like all the conversation that goes yeah, on in Vader's yeah. head while he's practicing with droids. Gotta and get stuff. more strong. Gotta yeah. get more strong. Yeah, yeah. It's just everything's around Zizor in this book. What do you think of this? this amazing tale so far i'm i think i'm following it i think that it would be how can i say can i organize it better next time to make it easier to understand that's like you can just use just use more breaking bad metaphors and i think i'll get it okay got it before we finish for this week don't we have to do the worst the worst the worst the worst the worst name challenge yes we do we took a week off last week because of the holidays well we had an armistice the boys all played soccer and now they're back in the trenches to fight again and in one side of the trenches we have our old buddy luke skywalker that's a really hard one to beat but i'm gonna do my best i mean you can always concede and just send them directly into the rafters. i will never concede all right i'm just saying appeasement is a bad policy i i know which one i'm gonna use okay so this is the name of a dwarf from lord of the rings online does that count it counts ryan they have to count okay they have to count there's only so many stupid names in Tolkien unlike Star Wars where it just has infinite like universes upon universes and layers of canon there's like one layer of canon really in Lord of the Rings and then there's a bunch of videos you find there's layers and layers of terrible names in Star Wars too much like Green the Human yes there are but uh, riddle me this how do you feel about a dwarf named after a popular dating app what's his name Tinder swipe left Tinder swipe left on Tinder. T-I-N-D-R. It's spelled the same way. It's spelled the same way, right? It's spelled exactly the same way. I'm pretty sure Tinder is like Tumblr where they drop the E. Oh, man. Tinder. His name is Tinder. He constantly swipes right on everybody, but then he sends them sexually harassing messages, and if you don't respond in at least 36 minutes, he tells you how you're ugly and fat, and he never wanted to sleep with you anyway. I don't like this guy. He sucks. He sounds like a jerk. Tinder the dwarf. Maybe he's just named after the thing that starts a fire. But why would they drop the E? Because he's an app. Crap. Okay. Yeah, see? See? The inescapable conclusion. You drop a vowel, you make an app. Oh, boy. And his picture is him either posting like a shirtless mirror selfie or like holding up a bass. Yeah. Those are the only two pictures he has on his shirtless profile. Shirtless with a couple of fish. Shirtless with a fish in each hand, and he's taking the mirror selfie with his mouth. Oh, man. Okay, so. so Tinder the dwarf. Tinder versus Luke. So you can vote on our Facebook or our Twitter. Which one do you think is more bad? You can also catch us on our website, www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. Yes, email us what's lightsabersprecious at gmail.com. Wait us up on iTunes or SoundCloud. Again, 
I'm putting it out there. You leave us a review. Let me know. I'll draw you as a hoblock. It'll be cool. You'll love it. Your friends will be jealous. They'll say, oh, man, I wish I had a picture like that. And they'll say, how'd you get it? And you'll say, because I told my podcast friends how much I love their show. And they'll say, oh, man, I got to do the same thing. It's, it's, Just do it. Help us help you. Okay. And speaking of helping us help you, right now, we're going to help you get back to your daily life of productivity as mandated by the capitalist society we live in. I love my boss. Go forth. Make more easily exploitable labor with what little time you've been given on this earth. Around here, we work hard and we play hard. We have a ping pong table in our break room. So you know our company is cool. It's okay that we don't pay you overtime. I feel like we've gotten a little bit in the weeds here, but regardless, we'll see you next week. Work hard, proletariat. Bye!